with on-demand talk shows 24-7. I see. This is TalkZone.com. It's time for Healthy Talk Radio. By the powers vested in me, by the Federal Communications Commission. Coming to you live from the headquarters of the Global Health Network and across the world wide web. (gasps) Computers can do that? It's America's longest running radio program dedicated to your health and wellness. What's taking place here is an alternative approach. Now, the woman who's changing the face of health care each and every day. That's the fact, Jack! Here's Deborah Ray. Good day. Welcome to Healthy Talk Radio. I'm Deborah Ray. Well, we've talked about um, the indecision that we all must face when we try and drink bottled water. Where does it come from? And now Corporate Accountability International are leading a national action asking Coke to reveal the source of its Dasani brand bottled water. It's one of the nutrients. In fact, recently a university researcher indicated it is so phenomenal. It is more than just a vitamin. It is an essential nutrient. And we are joined today by a noted expert. He's both an MD and a master's in public health, all about the latest research behind vitamin C. We'll also talk about forms of vitamin C so you can make an an effective decision. And we invite your questions about vitamin C for Dr. Mark Moriad, who joins us today right here on Healthy Talk Radio. Now the news and views about the news you won't hear anywhere else. The Healthy Talk Radio News Digest. Dr. Beatrice Gollum, MD, PhD from University of California, San Diego, was in Orlando this week at the American Heart Association's annual scientific sessions presenting some very interesting uh, finding. She is the uh, university professor and research scientist behind statinsideeffects.com, who has published some amazing information, including that that recently appeared in uh, uh, drug reports indicating that 70% of people, when they tell their physician, you know, I'm having this symptom after I started taking the statin drugs, were to, oh, couldn't be related to the statin drugs. She has linked global amnesia, in fact, the incidence of more neurodegenerative diseases in people who take statin drugs, and she has new information out. A large study looking at the sleep patterns of people who take statin drugs, quote, had significantly worsened sleep quality when they took uh, other cholesterol-lowering drugs. Now, she focused on Zocor versus Pravacol, found that Zocor significantly impacted sleep in a negative fashion. Uh, and, of course, we know if we impact sleep, we impact insulin resistance, we impact weight gain. Uh, so if you're taking a statin drug, first and foremost, you have to know all of the side effects to make an informed decision. Two, you have to know that there are even dietary approaches. Look at the portfolio study from the University of Toronto. Show that uh, this unrefined whole grain, whole food diet not only reduced cholesterol to the exact extent as did the statin-lowering medications, but also raised HDL, what the statin drugs don't do. Uh, There are other remedies that must be uh, uh, mentioned, including uh, the use of 
a form of chromium and inositol, I'm sorry, chromium and biotin, uh, known as uh, diachrome. Again, lowers total cholesterol, raises HDL uh, more extensively than the statin drugs do. Um, there is the aged garlic, uh, the vitamin K2, uh, because if you're considering a statin drug, now know Dr. Beatrice Gollum, University of California, San Diego, has added to that entire uh, clinical picture that statin drugs uh, increase your risk of liver problems, increase your risk of heart failure, increase your risk of losing your memory, increase your risk of cataracts, and affect your sleep quality adversely. Well, we've talked about it. Um, America's Wellness Doctor has quipped, uh, we're the fish oil vitamin D show and <laughs> will never fail to delight with today's American Journal of Clinical Nutrition uh, publishing a British study, King's College London, of uh, more than 2,000 women found that those with higher vitamin D levels had fewer age-related changes. They took a look at white blood cells, which uh, tend to experience faster rates of turnover and faster shortenings of the telomeres when the body's tissues suffer more inflammation. They took a look at the measurement of vitamin D in the bloodstream, compared that to the length of telomeres in the white blood cells, found that women with high levels of vitamin D were more likely to have longer telomeres in the cell. This has already been linked to be a biological marker indicating longer telomeres, you live longer. So the conclusion was why they would love to have more money for more study. Uh, This helps to explain how vitamin D has a protective effect on many age-related diseases, including cancer and including uh, heart disease. Vitamin D may help to slow that aging. And just think what's happening this time of the year. It gets darker a lot sooner. The, The sun is much lower on the horizon. So many of us vitamin D deficient And even a study recently of young people in Hawaii showing even if you're out several hours a week, you may not get enough vitamin D. And as we age, we become less efficient at the production of vitamin D when our skin is exposed to sunshine. So you may want to ask your doctor to just do a simple blood test, 25-hydroxyvitamin D. You want it on the high side. You may want to supplement this time of the year because vitamin D helps to slow aging. So in that model of the vitamin D fish oil uh, show, here's the fish oil. Uh, American College of Rheumatology's annual meeting, new research presented that fish oil supplements improve the symptoms of lupus. Yes, we've been saying it since 1982. Uh, And with 1.5 million Americans living with lupus, This study took people who were willing to take 3 grams, 3,000 milligrams of the omega-3 polyunsaturated fish oil. In other words, they were getting 3,000 milligrams of EPA. Look at the back of the label because the front will say a 1,000 milligram capsule. That's not a 1,000 milligrams of EPA. Um, Depending upon the source, you're going to have anywhere from 120 to 840 milligrams of EPA in that 1,000 milligram capsule. 
So, for example, for this lupus study, they use 3 grams of EPA. If you're taking a capsule that has 800 uh, milligrams of uh, EPA in that 1,000 milligram fish oil capsule, you're going to need to take a little more than 3 capsules a day. This group took the 3 grams of EPA daily for 6 months and found the two standard tools of measuring uh, lupus progression the patients got better. Queen's University, a Northern Ireland University study, indicating that they showed improved blood vessel function, uh, reduced oxidative stress. Quote, fish oil supplements may ease lupus and heart disease and high blood pressure and your risk of sudden death and depression and inflammation um, and just about any autoimmune condition responds to optimizing that ratio of omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acids. Well, it's one of the triad, the stool, because you can talk about your blood pressure, you can talk about your cholesterol, your blood sugar, all those numbers, physical aspects of your health, and fail to acknowledge that only one of the three legs of the stool, the other Emotional, the third spiritual. And University of Pennsylvania did a presentation in Orlando at the American Heart Association's annual meeting, uh, taking a look at uh, African American women, average age 73. They had been diagnosed with high blood pressure for an average of better than 16 years. They were taking multiple medications. All the women said they used their spirituality to manage their medication with adherence, partnering with God to manage my medications. And, of course, we know one's spiritual beliefs have a huge role to play in overall health. And there's something about taking those troubles to heart. There's something about the heart in literature, in medicine, in biochemistry, If you pick up Joe Chilton Pierce's The Biology of Transcendence, you read amazing facts about the heart, that our heart not only produces hormones, has hormonal receptors. So your hormones are imbalanced. It affects your heart health. Our heart also has more nerve cells called neurons. Those are the cells in the brain In fact, more neurons than any other type of cell in the heart. Translating to, we literally are hardwired to think with our hearts. Spirituality, helping older African American beat high blood pressure. We'll be back. Dr. Mark Moret at the Bon Hour Vitamin C on Healthy Talk Radio. Looking out for your health care concerns so you don't have to. Healthy Talk Radio with Deborah Ray. Dr. Mark Moriad will be joining us today at the bottom of the hour to talk about some of the latest research about vitamin C. Uh, although there has been much clinical study, thanks to the greats of Dr. Irwin Stone, uh, Dr. Linus Pauling, uh, and so many others about vitamin C for so many years. Uh, There are more revealing facts of which we will be speaking, and we'll invite you to join us. You have questions about vitamin C. Dr. Mark Moriad will be joining us at the bottom of the hour. We remiss not to mention that the the Brits, who have a, a very unique 
the kind of upfront, you know, way of expressing uh, medical information, have now studied a million women, finding that um, about 6,000 of the 120,000 cancers that affect British women each and every year are simply due to obesity. Let's break that down. 120,000 British women develop some type of cancer each and every year. According to a report published in the online British Medical Journal, 5% or 6,000 of those cases of cancer are strictly related to obesity. Yeah, you can carry around a little extra weight. In fact, the research out this week indicating that um, lower risk of death from certain conditions if you're a little overweight until you become obese. There is that U-shaped curve and obesity defined to be you know, uh, more than 30% your ideal weight, 30 pounds or better, has negative impact on diseases that include cancer and your mortality. Well, it's a lifestyle study uh, presented uh, out of Germany at the American uh, Heart Association's annual scientific conference being held in Orlando. Uh, this certainly speaks to singing the pra- uh, praises of exercise. We were uh, speaking earlier about the interesting studies uh, focusing on uh, depression and, and uh, uh, exercise, indicating that exercise is as effective in the short term as taking medication for depression. This new German study showed that regular endurance exercise promotes the growth of new blood vessels, promotes the growth of new cells, and actually is an important uh, beneficial factor in helping heart failure patients reverse some of the muscular damage that is a hallmark of the disease of congestive heart failure. In the past, so many people with heart failure have been told, take it easy, don't push it. You know, I know that you're, that you're short of breath and, and feeling overwhelmed, so just take it easy. These cells, these uh, progenitor cells that are promoted by exercise are in short supply among people with heart failure. In fact, they find that people in heart failure typically have 50% fewer of these progenitor cells than healthy people. Exercise helps to reverse the damage to the muscle in heart failure patients. It is truly that adage, if you don't use it, you will lose it. Well, it's a characteristic hallmark of Alzheimer's disease-type neuropathology. Those neurofibril tangles, those beta-amyloid peptide plaques in the brain, and presented and at the Neuroscience 2000 and me, uh, 2007 meeting in San Diego is the evidence that grape polyphenols, there's something about what's in grapes as well as red wine uh, that actually slows the development of these beta amyloid plaques. And, of course, one of the more famous polyphenols from grapes is resveratrol. Uh, we now know that there are many agents that slow the development 
or even help to reverse the development of Alzheimer's disease. Fish oil makes a difference. We know uh, from Great Britain that sage and rosemary make a difference. Resveratrol makes a difference. Physical and mental exercise makes a difference. There's some uh, indication that some of the generic uh, blood pressure medications like propanolol can actually uh, help to hamper the development of these beta amyloid peptide plaques. So if you have a genetic predisposition for Alzheimer's disease, there is much that you can do from a lifestyle uh, scenario. And uh, this research indicating that there is a potentially protective effect of Concord grape juice and Cabernet Sauvignon polyphenols to slow the development of this amyloid protein neuropathology in the brains of people with Alzheimer's disease. Moderate consumption of Cabernet Sauvignon, no, if it's not, if it's a little as good as a lot is better, a whole lot is the best of all, reduce the Alzheimer's disease type neuropathology and prevented cognitive decline. Moderate intake of alcohol. Yes, it must be moderate for that grapefruit future for Alzheimer's disease research. Well, speaking of research, uh, another presentation out of the American Heart Association's annual meeting in Orlando took a look at um, a patient with a heart attack. The patient's own stem cells injected into the heart after the heart attack improved that heart's ability to pump effectively. We've seen previous research uh, uh, along these lines at Henry Ford Hospital. This came from Northwestern Memorial Hospital, that there appears to be something about these stem cells. They can be derived from cord blood. Uh, We can actually store adult stem cells. Of course, there's been interesting information that um, uh, you have a little liposuction. They can actually take some of those cells and and, uh, harvest stem cells from there showing early promise for heart problems. When we start to see damage to the heart muscle, thanks to ischemia, lack of blood flow that occurs from a heart attack, stem cells are showing promise. Of course, there is great information. Uh, We've talked with some of the lead researchers like Dr. Bill Judy and others that coenzyme Q10 can actually be used uh, intravenously as well as other nutrients like uh, D-ribose, L-carnitine, to actually help reverse damage to the heart muscle. So don't think heart attack, oh, you know, they'll say, oh, my goodness, you know, you've lost uh, 50% of your heart muscle. Uh, There is great promise there. Well, if you're living in one of those areas where there's a lot of diesel engine traffic, exposure to diesel exhaust increases the risk of clot formation and blood platelet aggregation, boosting the risk for both heart attack and stroke. Scottish research uh, uh, being presented at the American Heart Association's annual meeting. We have now began uh, to address the fact that pollution, whether it's indoor pollution or outdoor pollution, not only affects lung respiratory health, but affects heart health as well. In fact, uh, we see measurable 
thickening of those carotid arteries. Those are the big ones that go up either side of the neck, implicated if there is blockage there and an increased risk of stroke, just by additional uh, large particulate matter indoor air pollution. And this is the time of the year, of course, when we start shutting the windows, shutting the doors, start to bringing any number of uh, uh, holiday decorations into the house. So diesel exhaust increases clot formation, and clots lead to the 700,000 reported strokes each and every year in this country. Well, the researchers have said it's so significant, maybe we shouldn't call it a vitamin. It is an essential nutrient. And a noted expert, MD, uh, Master of Public Health, Dr. Mark Moyad, joins us today to talk about some of the latest research about vitamin C. Our lines open for your questions about how to take vitamin C and the forms at 800-307-3002. With Dr. Mark Moyad joining us today on Healthy Talk Radio. Warning, Healthy Talk Radio presents revolutionary information that could cause facial tics and foaming at the mouth, but it's backed up by documented research and presented by credentialed guests. It may not represent the views of this network, this radio station, or its sponsors. But hey, it's not like they went to medical school. It's one of the nutrients of which we have spoken for many decades here on the show, and it has been the object of scientific scrutiny and research uh, for more decades than that. But the research continues, and we are now finding out more about a unique nutrient, vitamin C. Joining us today uh, to act as our guide is a noted public health educator. In fact, uh, received his Master's of Public Health uh, from a uh, university local to, uh, to our studio area, the University of South Florida. He's a noted cancer researcher, the endowed director of the Phil F. Jenkins Center for Preventive and Alternative Medicine at the University of Michigan Medical Center, a noted uh, researcher scientists as well as a physician and public health educator. He's Dr. Mark Moriad who joins us today. Dr. Moriad, hello and welcome. Hi, thank you for having me on today. So tell us your story. How did you go from uh, um, University of South Florida, MPH, of course you have your MD, Wayne State University, uh, into uh, to now uh, uh, doing a lot of research and education uh, there at the Jenkins Center for Preventive and Alternative Medicine, Dr. Moriad. Uh, I'll tell you without Trying to trying to bore you a little bit. The long story short is that uh, when I was in college, I had a chance to do some research. We ended up doing research on uh, a natural product. We ended up doing research on cottonseed oil. And before I went to medical school, I we did this paper. And we found out that it uh, has all these uh, potential benefits, and then also some problems in higher dose. And I thought, wow, this is this is crazy. Something in nature can be so powerful. Uh, and, and yet, you, you have to get it in moderation. And I, and I thought there. I wonder. I wonder what else in nature has all these abilities to do all these different things. So it just it just spiked my curiosity very early in a family of surgeons. And then when you go to public health, it's all about prevention. Right. Yeah, we always talk about our greatest advances in medicine and our ability to extend life has always been with things that can prevent disease. And uh, that's some of our greatest advancements in medicine and overall. So when you put that together, uh, that interest in sort of natural things and then a, and a preventive medicine degree, it kind of sets, sets the stage to do just something different in medicine, to make this long story short. 
How intriguing. How intriguing. We're, we're, I'm sure, and, and we or a lot of people are, are delighted that you did so because if we take a look at where we stand, you know, the American diet uh, has changed dramatically in, in many ways, uh, uh, types and amounts and sources of fats and refined uh, grains in terms of uh, carbohydrates as well as protein in terms of uh, how those farm animals are raised. Um, and with the Centers for Disease Control, Dr. Moriad, uh, giving us the, the overview of of where we stand nutritionally, that nutrition National Health and Nutrition Exam Survey. And then more specifically, we had the opportunity to talk with an Arizona State University researcher who indicated that the vast majority of Americans get their vitamin C from their morning <laughs> orange juice. Where, where do Americans stand in terms of optimal vitamin C? Well, that's where I have to admit that I got myself in trouble because I relied on my education. And when, when I went through school, and it's not much different today, mm-hmm. when I went through school, we were taught mostly about vitamin C and scurvy. And, and, and scurvy having this disease where you, essentially it starts out with the, with the bleeding gums and then it can lead to something greater. But, you know, it's not that we see a lot of scurvy today. So we were kind of locked in in this feeling that uh, vitamin C and scurvy and that's what you need to know in school, and that's about it. And then suddenly as you go through the rest of life, you see that vitamin C has so many other roles beyond that. So we're looking at a recommended daily allowance uh, that, depending on who you are, actually runs anywhere between 70 to 90 milligrams a day. But, again, those were based on sort of old-time thinking of what might prevent this old antiquated disease and now in most of the clinical trials I find it interesting from immune health to prostate health to stroke prevention uh, our taxpayer dollars are going toward using dosages anywhere from 500 milligrams to 2,000 milligrams so in chronic disease prevention we are learning that a higher dose when it comes to certain things like eye health is needed for maximum health in terms of prevention and that's what we're just going to get getting a handle on right now. And I'd love to hear your insight, uh, Dr. Moyad, because we've talked about some of the recent work at NIH indicating that you uh, actually um, may need to use uh, uh, vitamin C from an intravenous fashion to, uh, you know, to to bypass that um, you know, that uh, you know d- d- digestive defense in terms of of. You know, what amount we can take orally when you have you know severe um, health challenges like even cancer. Your insight here, please. My insight is looking at these real mega doses of, of vitamin C are interesting. And now there's this talk about going back to IV vitamin C. And and, and to be truthful, we've seen a couple little studies here and there around the world. And, and, and I want to see more with the IV version, but. Uh, I can tell you orally, whether you look at, you know, what we're looking at this non-acidic form, uh, ester C, mm-hmm. when we look at orally, we see actually good bioavailability. We see good retention. As long as the person is able to take it and tolerate it, uh, we see good uptake in the bloodstream. Um, so although I'm excited about the IV studies, I can tell you we have so much further to go just with taking it as a pill and learning all the things that it can prevent that I'm kind of, focused in on that because sure. that's where the, the, the thousands and thousands of patients lie in the clinical trials where the IV stuff is more 10 patients here from Canada, five patients over there. 
So let's talk about some of that new research, including vitamin C stress, which, of course, is all among us, and the immune system. Give us an overview, please, Dr. Moriad. Well, what I like to say is that we sort of look at this immune system thing as a separate thing. You know, you're supposed to boost your immune system. And patients come in all the time and say, how do I become more immune healthy? And I always try to say, look, if you want to think of it more in a simplistic way, um, all the things that you think about in terms of heart health, if you're heart healthy, you're immune healthy. And that way you can get a two-for-one. So when people think of stress, you know, you may think of oh, a hard-driving boss at work or coming home at 11 o'clock and you still have to make yourself dinner. Um, but the reality is stress involves anything that's physically and mentally that pushes you in a direction that's unhealthy, and that could, that could be heart unhealthy. So I always like to take patients down sort of the A to Z line of what, comp, what, what constitutes stress. A classic example, because I travel a lot, and I bet you that you do too, is that alcohol. Um, when I'm traveling, it just seems like when people get in the airplane, they have no problem grabbing some alcohol here and there and drinking a little bit too much. But people forget that alcohol in and of itself, when you go above moderation, is immune suppressive. And then if you look at anything from smoke or exposure to smoke, that can change your immune cells. Or a classic one is sleep deprivation. Uh, when people aren't getting enough sleep, like just I didn't the other day, for example, and I have patients who, who run on four or six hours a day, and then they suddenly say, oh, I got a cold easier, or I got this infection. So all these things we're learning about now are associated with physical and mental stress to the body, which suppresses immunity. And even if something as simple as weight, we're learning now. If you put on belly fat, that can change your immune system and immune protection. So there's really a lot that, co- that constitutes stress to the human body. But I, I, I like to say that if you can maintain heart health, it, it's associated with, with good immune health. And of course, one of those stresses uh, that thankfully we're, we're seeing less of these days, smoking. That, that's an interesting correlation between stress and vitamin C and smoking, Dr. Moriad. Yeah, I mean, what we did was, uh, and again, you know, you kind of, you kind of make these comments, and then until you do these research trials, personally, you realize the impact. So we see, we see that smokers have huge reductions in vitamin C levels, but not just in certain tissues and in red blood cells, but in the primary immune cells that provide immune defense. So, so your white blood cells, your immune cells, uh, lose significant amounts of vitamin C. And, and, and we saw that, too, in, in the large ester C and in white blood cell study that when smokers clearly had lower levels of vitamin C, I mean, they were able to uptake more uh, with, the, with the calcium scorbate, but the bottom line is just to be a smoker puts you five steps behind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you are, are part of a team uh, recently co-authoring and publishing a study on the review of vitamin C dietary supplements. Give us an overview, please, Dr. Moyad. Well, I like to be honest and call this overview of vitamin C supplements my sort of education that sometimes the most simplistic things in the world can be the most powerful medicine. Sort of going back to when I was 21, uh, we simply looked at all the research on vitamin C in the past 30 years and where it might prevent certain diseases and where it might be worthless, which I think is important. I always like to tell patients I want to tell you that what the catch is with anything as well as the benefit. And we walk through all the different areas of chronic disease prevention, uh, from just a general overall health to, you know, eye health. We looked at to coronary heart disease, um, and then we're doing a part two to it. We looked at infertility. Uh, we looked at just preventing colds and all the thought about preventing colds and pneumonia to cancer. And we came up with the conclusion that 
vitamin C really is, is stuck in in the early 1900s with, this, with all this talk of scurvy, and it really has all this interesting data for the prevention of a variety of diseases, uh, including other things like colds, that really should give it a little bit more attention than we think it's been getting. And that really kind of summarizes the main crux of the whole of the whole analysis. Now I'm fascinated because you mentioned chronic conditions, and uh, you know JAMA uh, May a year ago talked about 78% of our nation's, I guess we call them disease care, medical uh, healthcare dollars go to chronic conditions. So we're talking about a nutrient, lots of research, inexpensive, with with a lot of bang for its buck, <laughs> Doctor Morad. Yeah, I, I think that's what people have a tough time with, and I think a lot of physicians have a tough time with that. And I, I got to admit that I was definitely in that category, and part of me is, is still sometimes in the back of my brain. I think that way that how could something that's that's so cheap be so effective in so many areas? And the answer is, well, I kind of think is how many how can some how can all these things that are so simplistic in lifestyle prevent disease from just quitting smoking to dropping two or three pounds to putting on a little more exercise to slightly changing diet? And I think what we're seeing the same is uh, kind of going back to the sim- simplistic things like vitamin C and vitamin C in a, in, a, in a tablet form or just taking it orally in a slightly higher dose actually may prevent the number one cause of blindness in, in the United States, which is macular degeneration. I mean, in the largest trial of the prevention of blindness for macular degeneration, the the nutrient in highest level in that pill that the taxpayers paid for was mm-hmm. actually vitamin C. And so I agree with you. I, th- I think uh, we really need to humble ourselves and go back and look at this simple nutrient and say, uh, there's a lot going on here, and maybe we need to spend more money in clinical trials. And I have to tell you, from uh, from my early 20s, you know, a Crohn's colitis patient who <laughs> discovered that my science background did not teach me about uh, a good diet, and, and certainly I was culturally conditioned to think, oh, three square meals a day, you know, <laughs> you yeah. know vitamins, you, you don't need them. I've been taking my vitamin C, you know, faithfully since uh, 1980. Uh, and, you know, why, as you, as you wisely indicate, it's not a magic bullet. It's, it's part of an overall good nutritional lifestyle plan. It does make a difference, Dr. Moyad. It, it does. You know, it's not that I, I want people taking a lot of pills, whether it's prescription or over-the-counter, but the bottom line is I, I think there are a couple things in life that we should, we should focus on. I, I find it interesting that in one of the largest surveys of doctors, um, it published in 2006, it came from Harvard, that vitamin C was at the, basically at the top of the list of what doctors were taking for themselves. Yeah. And although we might not admit <laughs> it, I think privately in the survey and in the research study, at least it was admitted there, so it was documented. And so um, I agree. I mean, I take it, I, I take it myself. I, I take a 500-milligram uh, uh, chewable tablet. I, I take the type that I'm studying, Esther C., but I can tell you that um, I, I think it's really neat that we, that if we can move beyond the scurvy thought and really get into disease prevention, including maybe coronary heart disease. We just saw a big trial with ischemic stroke where I'm just uh, different types of stroke and ischemic stroke was reduced in women on vitamin C uh, being taken uh, daily. I, I think we're just touching the tip of the iceberg, basically. Yeah. But there are people, my sister's one of them, who says, oh, you know, vitamin C... You know, she she equates it, Dr. Moyad, that it's too acid. So, so talk with us. You mentioned estrusy, uh, because there are some people uh, who say, uh, you know, it just doesn't this this doesn't sit well with me. 
I understand that. I mean, vitamin C in and of itself is called ascorbic acid for a reason, ascorbic acid, and it has that uh, thought that it's acidic, and it is. It's, it's more like a weak acid. And uh, the funny story about the trials that we've been running is that uh, I had a belief in vitamin C, and I would take it occasionally, but actually I was one of those individuals, and I understand the story, where it actually caused, my, caused some stomach upset. And I had plenty of patients, and especially patients in pregnancy who were pregnant and said, I have stomach upset. And uh, what happened one day was one of the biggest selling uh, prenatal vitamins, prescription prenatal vitamins, I was doing a class for OBGYNs, and one of the biggest selling prenatal vitamins uh, boxes were there, and I, and I looked in the box, and in the back of it, the number one selling product for prenatals had uh, ester C in it. And uh, we began to look at that, and we realized that ester C is a non-acidic form of vitamin C. And so if they're putting it in the number one selling prenatal prescription vitamin in the United States, there must be uh, some truth to the fact that ester C is not causing stomach upset and maybe providing that vitamin C benefit. So in pregnancy, you're supposed to take vitamin C, as, as you know, and just to tell the listeners to increase the absorption of iron, which is so important in women's health and general health, especially during pregnancy. Dr. Moy, we don't want to miss a minute. Hold that thought. We'll pick that right back up when we return with Dr. Mark Moyad joining us today. We're talking about some of the latest vitamin C research right here on Healthy Talk Radio. A vital part of your daily health regimen. Vitamins, supplements, and Deborah Ray. Dr. Mark Moyad joining us today. He's a noted research scientist, educator, the endowed director of the Phil F. Jenkins Center for Preventive and Alternative Medicine at the University of Michigan Medical Center, giving us an overview of some of the recently published research of which he authored, as well as additional research regarding vitamin C, stress in our immune system. We were talking about the stomach-friendly form of vitamin C, the vitamin C metabolite form of ester C, being that most often found in prenatal vitamins. And uh, Terry has a question. Hello and welcome, Terry. You're on the air with Dr. Moyad. Yeah, um, thanks for taking my call. Have you ever heard of anybody being allergic to sea? Uh, that's actually a great question. I've, I've been around enough now, after 21 years, that I've seen people allergic to just about every single thing that you can mention. So I, I did have one or two situations in the past 20 years where people had an immune, uh, an allergic type reaction to plain vitamin C. I, I actually have seen that, and it's rare, but um, I, I have seen it. Well, I've, I've tried like a complex, and I kind of get like, um, you know, when you take niacin, it, I'll get like a hot flash. Yeah. Or so I tried uh, just a, a C with rose hips, mm-hmm. and the same thing. And so I said, well, let me try. Uh, I know it isn't as good, but I got me some uh, organic orange juice, and when I drink that, my nose, like, runs immediately. I'll I'll tell you, I mean, your your body is a good indicator of what's going on, and I like to, when I'm talking to patients, I like to to hear their their thoughts just through all, and, and sometimes some of them keep a diary, but the reality is, if you're seeing reactions like that, vitamin C could be a possibility. It's rare, but... Uh, I mean, I don't ever get sick. I haven't had a knock wood, a cold for, you know, probably like 25 years at least. But, you know, I I tried to do it preventatively. But after a while, I just said, you know, I know I quit taking my C Mm -hmm. and that Uh, all subsided. So 
Yeah, and I think that that tells you a lot. And so that's exactly what we do in, in, in immune medicine. We have people keep a, keep a diary. And so if that's what's happening, I think it's better to stay to the dietary forms or, or, or try a couple of different other versions of vitamin C to see if it happens. But, I mean, you're clearly doing the right thing. And we do see an allergy. I've seen allergies to almost anything. And it's less than 1%. It hardly hmm. happens, but it does happen. Hmm. Now, I, what I thought I would do is, is um, I haven't had any seed for probably about six or seven months and I thought well maybe I'll just stop for a year and then I don't know if there's something that's more pure than or bioavailable than you well, know just I, I would try it I mean I hate to I hate to sound uh, a little bit commercial here but I, I I'm excited about the research we're doing and I would I would try ester C in a, in a lower dosage and then see if that in a, see if that caused the allergic reaction if you have a reaction again then I would uh, switch back to, to diet. I would well, our thanks to Dr. Moreira. Thanks to Terry and Deborah reminding you to live long, stay healthy.